Thank you, Pastor Dennis. Most importantly, thank you, Lord, for your gracious gift. That's why we remember. That's why we celebrate. And that's why we're able to confidently open up the Bible, which is the living word of God, the testament of Jesus Christ, and the gospel of his kingdom. This is life and health and strength for us today. This is what we need to hear. And that's why the word takes a central role. And um, so that's why whether, whatever generation you are, whatever age you are, whatever stage of life, no one has mastered God's teaching. We need to be mastered by it. And so I invite you to humbly open with me to James chapter 1, towards the end of the New Testament, so towards the end of the Bible there. What is it, seven books from the end, I believe? And James is a powerful book. We're going through it, verse by verse, to understand its meaning, what it means for us today, and why it's important for us to live out this Christian faith that we talk about. It's one thing to sit in a service and to listen, but it's another thing to go out and to live. And that's what James calls us to do. First, listen, and then to go and live. And I want to thank our, our West small group that, that really stepped up and said, hey, we want to live out the gospel. We want to, we want to share the gospel with those children at the 13th Avenue Dream Center. And so we have started a good news club there. So here, here's the thing. It's a chaotic scene. Because when kids are in the mix, things get a little noisy. When they get loud, they get a little messy. Got to be okay with that. Because that's the potential there. Raw potential that we want to see turned to uh, to Christ followers. So we had 80 kids in this gym. A lot of them not heard about Jesus. Not heard about the gospel. And our team shared a memory verse with them. Helped them memorize Philippians 1.6. So thank you, Ryan, with that. Uh, they helped with the game. So thank you, Lacey and Stacy. And Stacy made stickers. And, and we were there. Crowd control loving presence and and i got to share the story of joseph and how his brother sold him into slavery for a lot of kids this is brand new information i think about a third of them raised their hand and said that they've read the bible before a third of them which means two-thirds have not this is new information and after the club i was talking to one boy his name was jace and he came up to me and said wow that was good i learned a lot of good things today well, that's that's encouraging okay well tell me what's something that you learned today that was one of those good things well, I learned that Jesus was a good man and that he died for me. Is that, is that the first time you've heard that? Yeah. Yeah, that's the first time. Wow. I was just struck at how, how blessed I am <laughs> to have this gospel and what a serious burden it is on us to live out our faith so literally that the next generation may know. And I told him, you got to come back. you got to come back. We're going to tell you more about Jesus. We're going to tell you more about him and who he is and what he's done. And church, we also need to have that humble posture. Even if you've been walking with Jesus a long time, nobody's mastered this. In fact, sometimes we've got to get back to the basics to make sure we understand and we're relating to God in the right way. This week's message is so timely. And I'll tell you the main point before we even read the passage um, but you'll, get, you'll need to get from the text, not just from your pastor. A person with a living faith responds to the living word. A person with a living faith responds to the living word. So let's pick up James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness 
the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious, he does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. <clears throat> a person with a living faith responds to the living word. But we will see three evidences of the living faith as James lays it out for us. First, a person with living faith humbly submits to God's word. Secondly, a person with living faith actually obeys God's word. And thirdly, a person with living faith accurately portrays Christ. And if you didn't get all those points, you'll get them again as we go through. I'll make sure we, uh, we repeat as we go through. But first of all, humbly submits to God's word. Okay, so he says, brothers, brothers and sisters. You should have picked up on this before if you've been tracking along with us in James, that when James says brothers and he's readdressing the group he's writing to, which is believing Jews who've been scattered because of persecution, Jews who've now put their faith in Jesus Christ, he does that because he wants to get your attention about a new train of thought. Hey, brothers and sisters, remember this. Brothers and sisters, don't forget this. Brothers and sisters. So what's he getting our attention about? He says, I need you to be quick about something. Okay, all right, James, you just tell us. We'll get up, we'll go, we'll run through a wall. Team Jesus, right? Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. Oh, that's, that's not as easy as I might think it would be. <laughs> Tell me to do something, I can do it, but, but listen. Like, like you're racing in and grabbing a seat. I'm sure the, uh, the Taylor Swift fans, you know, we're jockeying to get seats. We watched the, the Ryder Cup, or actually I was, I was watching the opening ceremonies while I was getting my hair cut, and it shows all the fans streaming in at 6.30 in the morning. They open the gate to the golf course, and everybody's trampling over each other to get in there. Too stressful for me, okay? I'll just I'll saunter in once everyone else has got their spot. But that's the idea. Be quick about it. Be quick to listen. Listen to the Word of God. Any opportunity that we get to hear the Word of God we ought to be taken advantage of. Unless we think this is just a book like any other book. But this is the word of God. It's no different than if Jesus were to walk in here and flesh and blood and be the one preaching to you today. Which is why it's such a challenge and a daunting task for us pastors that our sermon is not just what's on my heart or what I think you need to hear. I am to be delivering to you the trustworthy word that was delivered to me. And you also need to be pursuing the word and living it out. But it doesn't happen if we're not listening, if our ears aren't tuned to the word. And you can sympathize with these scattered Jewish believers. They're facing all kinds of, of conflict and persecution and loss, maybe even trauma. Maybe some of their best friends or, or, or loved ones were killed because of their faith. Maybe they saw it with their own eyes. 
So you can understand why their hearts are heavy and maybe why their thoughts are thinking, I don't know if I can trust God or I don't, I don't know if a few verses, you know, from that scroll are really what I need right now. What I really need, Paul, uh, or James says, I, I know that life is hard and I know that you've endured a lot, but even in the craziness of life, especially in the craziness of life, we must listen first to the still small voice of God. You're going to miss that in the busyness of this world and the craziness of this world. But to take time, those quiet moments to hear from God is absolutely essential for your faith. But our world is reactionary. It's quick, quick, quick. Knee-jerk reactions. Someone said this, now I'm saying this in reaction to it. Now what's your response? And even social media, the algorithms have figured out people engage more and they view longer if you get them stirred up about something. So we don't even have to share all the information or we'll share disinformation. We just need to get people talking and angry and the traffic goes up. That's human nature, isn't it? We hear something, we don't even know, so, but we want to react. We want to meet out justice. James says that should not be the case for a believer. We need to resist that. Don't be quick to speak. So if someone starts a post, they say, all right, I've had it. I can't stay silent anymore. So foolishness is probably going to come out. If not in what they say, in how they say it. Because we just don't react in the spirit when we react quickly. But if we listen first, and we hear what wisdom says, what does Jesus say, what does Jesus command us to do, then if I'm angry, I'm angry at what angers God, not just what angers me. Or I don't like what they did. Well, who cares what you like? Are you God Almighty? Well, at that moment, I kind of feel like I should be. I'll step in for God. I'll, I'll, I'll give out some justice. That's being reactionary. We don't need that. And if we're more angry in our heart at someone else's sin rather than my own sin first, there's a term for that in the Bible, and it's called pride. So <laughs> what do we need more than a bunch of proud, angry people yelling at each other? Sounds a lot like the world, doesn't it? So be quick to hear. And not just hearing people's opinions, but to hear from God. And then he says, in, in order to hear God clearly, you need to put away something. So similar to Ephesians 4, where he's using the, the terminology of, of your garments. Hey, put off this and put on this. Put off uh, the wicked ways, put on the ways of the spirit of walking after Jesus. Here, what James says is to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now, this will gross you out a little bit. But that term <coughs> filthiness is, is a, a general term that could be used for stuff that clogs up your ears. And you need to clean your ears out. Earwax, right? Uh, you know, right before lunch, we're going to talk about earwax. It's a yummy picture, right? But what, does, what happens to you when your ears clog up with earwax? You're not able to hear as clearly. Or maybe you'll hear some things that aren't actually happening. You've got to have clear ears to hear from God. So he says if there's anything in your life that is contrary to the ways of God, whatever habit that is, 
whatever acceptable sin that you've held on to, that thing that you run back to over and over that will soothe you and comfort you, but it's not from God, it's an accumulation of earwax. You're not going to fully hear God, or when you do, it might be easy to say, wait, well, uh, I, I didn't quite get that. And you just you keep going with your life. Clear that out. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to put those things off, to put those habits off, to put that dirty language away or that crude talk that's not fitting for the people of God or for the gathering of the people of God. But then also, of course, put away the rampant wickedness. Those are those self-destructive behaviors that people hold on to and they're not willing to allow the grace of God to fully transform in their lives. It's one thing to give God 90% of your life. A lot of people do that. There's that 10%. That either because of your, your personality or because of your upbringing or because it's just your fleshly desires, you don't feel like you have to put that away as well because of what it gives you or comforts you or, or maybe it's a, it keeps your friends around a little bit longer. James says you got to put that away too. And you can't do it in your own strength. You need spirit. You need the spirit of God. You need the word of God. So it's a constant process. You're clearing out your ears. So you're involved as a believer, as a child of God. But also it's God at work in you. And you're allowing him to do that. Why should we allow God to have every part of our lives? Because Jesus came and gave, gave us every part of his. He's the one who showed humility. He is the suffering servant. If you look back at verse 18 and what we discussed two weeks ago, it says of God's own will, he brought his children forth by the word of truth. It was God's will for Jesus to die on the cross for the shame of our sin. That was not my will. I was not willing to humble myself and say, I need a savior. I need someone to forgive this thing. I don't like having sin anymore. No, I love my sin. I was fine in my sin. God made the first move. And God the Son listened to the will of the Father, was in line with the will of the Father, and shared that with him. And he saw the gap that separated us from God, that our sin was driving that wedge, and our ears were full of wax, and our hearts were hard. So where is the example of love, and where is the act of redemption? It was in Jesus Christ who took on that burden. He took the burden on himself. Why? Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 tells us he's gentle and he's lowly. It's actually the, the sermon I preached on our launch Sunday a year ago. Jesus is gentle and lowly. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He's the only person who's ever kept his word. And what he says he's all about, he's actually all about. He's the real deal. He's full of grace and truth. And he took on the yoke for you and me to cover our sins with payment. He paid it in full. Every drop of blood he shed on the cross. And then he rose physically and literally from the grave so that we could live forever with him. God covered our sins. And he did it humbly. He did it like a servant. He died the death of a common criminal. And if our Savior can do that, 
it really that hard for me just to say, God, I've sinned against you. Don't always tell the truth. I, I have not done uh, or walked rightly with you or I've obeyed and kept your whole word. God, I need you to rescue me. You see, you can't have a living faith if you don't actually have faith. The gospel says you must first repent of your sins before God, which requires humility, which requires the work of God in you. I'm not a humble person. And I can't just say, oh yeah, I'm going to be humble to God one day. And I just I have this strength within me. No. That's the Spirit opening up my ears. Say, listen, this is the truth. You need it. Yes, I do. I'm sorry, Jesus. Will you forgive me and will you save me? That is how one enters into the family of God. It's not because someone took me to church when I was a kid. Some of us, you know, our parents took us to church and we, we, maybe we were baptized as a baby or we were confirmed or we went to Sunday school class. Or maybe that wasn't your experience at all. But, you know, you've come to church for a while and you're trying to turn your life around. You're trying to do some religious things. Well, guess what? In order to actually have a relationship with God as your father, you have to receive him through Christ the Son. You have to repent of your ways and trust in him. Jesus says the poor in spirit will enter the kingdom of heaven. Is that you? Remember, thousands of people heard the teachings of Jesus. And most of them walked away those who turned from their sins and said, yes, I will follow you, Christ. You have my heart because you are the word of God. James says, you believers, you know this. You've already received it. Receive with meekness in an ongoing way the implanted word. It's not about the gospel. Verse 18 tells us that. The word, it's the gospel. You receive the gospel through meekness. Continue to allow that implanted word to change you and rearrange your heart so it beats with love for God and for his ways. This word will save your soul. It's a promise. Which is why faith, genuine faith, is so precious. The only way you can have eternal life is if your heart belongs to Jesus. And if that's how we enter the kingdom of heaven and the family of God, beloved, isn't that how we should walk in our day-to-day -day life? This day is just another day on my journey to eternity. Eternity actually has already begun for those who are in Christ. So why should I not live this day more like Jesus and less like my old ways? Because the old ways are passing away. If we are humble, if we are receptive to the word of God, we listen to his voice that's been implanted in us that's living faith we are doing the will of our father so to apply that point and understand it is there anything in our life that is keeping us from hearing god some build up in our ears maybe some uh maybe some anger anger that is not righteous from god but anger in response to how people have treated me how dare they treat me that way or, or how dare that person do that? Or, oh, that was so corrupt what they did. What's going on in your life that is keeping you from hearing God? Listen. And I would encourage us all, as believers, we need to practice our listening. We want to talk about God. Are you sitting daily at his feet and listening to God? 
And when you're talking to other people, and I struggle with this too, like I'm half listening sometimes. Maybe sometimes I do this with my wife. She's very, very patient with me. And are you, what did I just say? Are you with me? And he just guides me back, make sure we're listening with our whole focus. She loves me. She's awesome. If we love someone, we should listen to them. So even in a conversation with somebody in the church body or out in the community, if we're only giving them half our attention, you're showing them, um, I'm busy. I got stuff going on. I'm distracted. Give them your whole attention. It's amazing when people will just pour out on a complete stranger because they're like, wow, this person actually listens. This person actually cares. We don't have to start some big gospel ministry to reach people for Jesus. We got to turn our listening ears on. Let the people share, this is what I need. These are the questions I have about Jesus. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I was listening to the sermon on Sunday morning, or I was listening when God spoke to me this morning in devotion. Let me share from the word. See what listening does? It's a game changer. And it leads to love. And it leads to the truth advancing. Now, not only do we humbly submit to God's word, but point number two, we actually obey God's word. So it's a continuation of the first point. But let's be clear, we need to be doers of the word, not hearers only. That word hearer, some of you students will, will recognize kind of the idea of someone who audits a class rather than taking it for credit. What does that mean when you audit a class? Basically it means you get to listen to all the lectures, you do none of the work. <laughs> you're not gonna fail that class, you can fail it if you try. Because all you're there to do is listen. And those students, man, they got to stay up late. They got to study. They got to finish the papers. They've got deadlines. I don't want to do that. I'm just auditing. But are we auditing Jesus or are we actually following him? There's a difference. Auditors are just out to get information. Followers are out to receive transformation. I want to become like the master. I want to live his ways. I want his values to be my values. You see, part of Satan's strategy, the evil one, the enemy of God, and your enemy too, if you're a child of God, his strategy is to make you think, all I need to do is listen a little bit. Get in a little bit of listening on Sunday morning, and I'm good to go. I feel, I feel kind of religious. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to do my thing. Nothing actually changes. That's no threat to Satan. That doesn't advance the kingdom of God. I could preach a sermon to empty chairs. What's different about you sitting in that chair? Someone who's made in the image of God that has a soul that can receive this truth and be changed by it and actually do it. Because the fruit comes from the doing, from the living. And if we don't do that, and if we're hearers only, James says you're deluding yourself. He says the word deceive, but you translate that delude, same idea, and it's actually a mathematical term. Like you're, you're adding up a problem. You've got all your, your factors, and you add them up, and, and the sum says, huh, that doesn't add up. Let me rework that problem again. You go through it a second time. I wasn't good at math, and I'm still not good at any math or numbers. So, so I've got to add up multiple times, and I use my, my handy thumb calculator often. He says, if you think Christianity is like, listen, 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 Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, and at the end, what's the fruit of that? It's supposed to be 
listen, Bible study, obey, and become more like Christ. That's the goal of the gospel. That there's actually fruit and a harvest, a life change. A person with living faith lives in response to the living word. And I love this analogy he gives because this totally works for a guy. A man who looks in the mirror and sees that there's a mess going on when he gets out of bed, a man might actually walk away from that mirror and not change anything. I'm late for work, I'm late for school, whatever. I'll pop a mint on the way to class and you know, kind of, kind of do this on the way to class. But typically, ladies, right, if you see something, you're, you're gonna be more prone to do something about it. Guys, we try to skate by a little bit. But he says, this is what it's like. If you claim to be a Christian, you look in the mirror and you see an absolute mess going on. You've got, you've got eye crusties and you've got some drool crusties and your hair is all out of whack. There's some gum in your hair from last night. You fell asleep with gum in your hair. Why would you do that? I don't know. So you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, that's not that bad. Not as bad as that person. So I'm good. And you walk away and you completely forget the mess that was your face. He says, the word of God is not here just to judge you or make you feel, oh, I don't measure up enough. It's to show you the hope that Jesus gives for transformation. So you can say, Lord, I, I, need, you, I need your help with this. I need your help with my tongue. I need your help with, and Jesus will actually help you grow in those areas. But that means you have to listen to the word, and that means you have to actually be willing to obey the word so that fruit comes about as a result. Don't be like the man who looks in a mirror and walks away. He says, but here's what you should be like. Verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. That almost sounds like a paradox, though. Is it a law? You're supposed to keep laws, right? And do things. But he says the law of liberty, which means freedom. I thought freedom means I don't have to do anything with the law anymore. Well, the gospel says Jesus fulfilled the law, and when he changes a heart, now we can also fulfill the law by loving God and loving others. It frees you up to live how God has called you to live child of God, you don't have to live in the old ways anymore. That's not your eternal destiny. That's not God's plan for you today. You can turn from that. You can heal from that. Those failures don't define you. That sin yesterday doesn't define you. You're not a slave anymore. You belong to the Father. And the gospel that he's given us actually is life. It actually will set you free, and you will be blessed as you do. Do we really believe that God will bless us when we obey the word? That's a serious question we've got to answer. Do we want God's full blessing on our lives? Which means he, he sustains us, he nourishes us, he gives us more and more than we could even ask or dream or think. This is the kind of father that we have, the father of all lights. And devotion to him leads to full blessings in his life. Look at this with me. This is something I learned for the first time, and it really caused me to appreciate 
what James is saying here. That word doer, in the Greek, it's poietes. Poietes. Does it sound like any word you know? Poet? Poietes. Poet. It's talking about creativity. It's talking about passion, inspiration, flowing. So when we allow God's inspired word to flow through us, you get to do things and see things of God's handiwork that would not be visible otherwise. Your life is a masterpiece that God is working on. Stroke by stroke with his paintbrush, shape by shape with his hands. And when we say, yes, Lord, I want to do your will, shape me and use me, you actually get to see how he's using you to bless others. It's amazing what God can do. Do you trust him to do it? Do you trust him with your marriage? God wants to bless your marriage for those of you who are married. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. I don't know. I don't know if I, that, that's really going to work out or not. It's a beautiful gift. And unfortunately, I think there's too many Christian marriages that we're just going through drudgery. We're going through misery. Well, they're a fallen person. I'm a fallen person. You know, when we get to heaven, everything will be great. We're just kind of coasting until then. That is not God's design for marriage. It is deeper intimacy. It is deeper affection and service. Deeper humility, for sure, because your spouse is going to point out some flaws in you. You're good for each other, sharpen each other in that way, but there will also be growth and fruit. Not just physical offspring, although Lord willing, sometimes that does come about as, as a result of fruit. What about the fruit of the Spirit? Is there more fruit of the Spirit because of your marriage in Christ than apart from that? And singles don't think I've forgotten about you either, because you've also been given a gift. Singleness is not, oh, this is a period of waiting until marriage. Absolutely not. The Apostle Paul says, I wish more people were single like me, because then I am free to love. I am free to meet up with people. I'm free to serve people. I'm free to let God use me however he wants that day, and I don't have to go home and check in on somebody. I am free to move. There are two different kinds of gifts. But do you view your singleness as a curse? If only I was married. If only I had somebody. They could make me whole. You are whole if you are in Christ. The whole Christ is in you. Not half Christ. The whole Christ. So don't sneer at God's gift. Instead, ask God, what masterpiece do you want to produce in my life in this season? And maybe marriage will be a season for you one day. But if you're not using the gift of the season he's given you now, why should you expect anything better? When your relationship status changes, it's between you and Jesus as you walk in his way and you obey him. Church on October 15th, we have an opportunity as a church to learn, have more clarity about what does a healthy church look like and how do we partner together for the gospel? How do we make decisions? How should we give money and where does our money go and how can we give towards missions and, and what ministries of this church need to rise up as we obey the word of God. So we call it a partnership meeting. Some churches call it a membership meeting. 
These are people who want to move from just being a subscriber of the church to I want to be a committed part of this core church and a charter member of our first membership class. And it doesn't give you like country club perks. It's simply an opportunity to clarify our role and to willingly, clearly partner together for the future. I think it'd be pretty cool if you guys were part of our first membership class. I love it. We don't want people on the sidelines for God's plan. We want to be right smack dab in the middle. And here's the last thing we need to see about a person with living faith. A person with living faith accurately portrays Jesus to others. Look at verses 26 to 29. I'll open it up there myself. If anyone thinks he's religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So that's a powerful statement. And I think what will help us understand that is a, is a well-known Bible teacher named Tony Evans. He draws this analogy. Okay, so James is saying Christian life, it's a lot like TV. You can have sound, and you can see the show, but it's best when they're working together that you get the whole picture. That's what James is getting at here. And for those of you that, that use a TV antenna or have used that in the past, you understand this frustration very well. Because you want to see the game, but you also want to hear the game. So you got to get those, those buddy ears in just the right spot. And when the cloud comes and messes everything up, you got to do it all over again. But think of Christianity that way. People need to hear the truth about Jesus, but they also need to see what is the love of Jesus. And if we are not allowing God to have every part of us, you know what you're doing? You're giving a scattered picture of Jesus. You leave people wanting to know more. But that's all they're going to get from your life. I can't give you a full picture because I'm not obeying God in this area. And I don't believe God's in control of this situation. And I can't trust God with my finances. i got to stress about it. Give them the whole picture that they can observe Christ in our speech, that they can observe Christ in how we live. So the first thing he says is, is our speech. It's the biggest test for a Christian, I think. The biggest test for a Christian is what comes out of our mouth. We say we believe and do this, but in an instant, what comes about? James already talked about anger. When anger comes out, that's unrighteous anger. It's not producing the righteousness of God. But when we're angry or when we're frustrated or when things don't go our way or when we just sit back and, and cut up a little bit, we talk like the world. The bird. Oh, no. Sorry, bird. <laughs> When we use our word to devastate and hurt, or when we, we cast jokes that are inappropriate, James says, you know what that word, you know what that is like? It's like a horse, a powerful, powerful stallion running around. And if it's on the racetrack and there's a bridle on it and it's standing in its lane, that's a majestic thing. Wow, look at that animal go. But if it's unbridled, and it's spooked, and it's running through a crowd of people, a different reaction. Friends, do you realize how powerful your tongue is? It's like a sword, and it can either heal like God's word does, or it can cut and do lasting damage. You think you're religious? How's the bridle on your tongue? And if you don't know how to bridle your tongue, if you don't know what to say or, or what is wise talk, there's a great verse in Proverbs that says, 
even the fool who stays silent is considered wise. It's one of my favorite verses. You don't know what to say? Don't say anything. And people are like, wow, that person must be pretty wise. And I know that's why some of you are so quiet in this group. You don't open up much in small groups because you're just wise. You're wise. You're sitting back. You're letting other people get it all out of their system. But no, he's talking here about whether you're, you're using crude, joking, cursing, gossip, slander, grumbling, murmuring. The genuineness of our faith is tested by the dipstick of our mouth, just like in a car. How do you test your oil levels? You've got to look at the stick. You've got to pull it out. You've got to wipe it. You've got to dip it back in and check the level. Our tongue is the dipstick of the heart. And how we talk shows who's having the biggest impact on our hearts. Can people hear Jesus when they hear you? You'll see later in James 3.1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers. Not many of you should become Christian leaders. And here's why. Because you know that you who teach will be judged with greater strictness. God is going to hold Christian leaders responsible for how we lead and what we say and teach and the model that we set for the flock. Why is that? Because it's no longer just me and Jesus. What I teach and what I live now has a direct impact on the eternal souls of the flock of God. I'm here today just as an intermediary. I'm an under-shepherd. Jesus is the true shepherd. He's the king. I serve at his pleasure. Pastor Dennis serves with me. And even together, we need so much more wisdom than what we've got. We depend on the spirit of God for that. But we do know we will give an account to God one day. Did you joke about this? Did you tell them to skirt around some of my clear commands? Did you dumb this down to appeal to culture? I will hold you accountable. And that's something that will keep a pastor up at night, let me tell you. It's a serious calling to speak the word of God. And in our church, we're committed to developing Christian leaders and to developing preachers and teachers and missionaries. But I'm going to tell you, no one is getting an opportunity to share the word unless we have seen patterns of humility and a willingness to submit to the word first. We don't do this for ourselves. We don't do this as a show. We do this to submit to the calling and the kingship of Jesus Christ. May we all live that way because we will stand before him one day and give an account. He also says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphan and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. I love that because that tells me religion is not something I live out to please other people. That, that's kind of what humans have turned it into, right? A religious show. It's how I dress. It's how I, it's how I act. Or it's, it's this thing that I start and that I do. And, and people are watching me. So my religion is for people. No. Pure religion? We only care about one witness. God the Father. And he's a witness to every part of our lives. The Spirit of God is with the believer 24-7. We sleep. He does not. He even watches over us while we sleep. God is witness. And as he witnesses your life, what does he see? It should be a joyful thing. It should be a close-knit relationship we have with him. Father, do you see what I'm doing here? Father, I need your help here. Father, help me talk to this person. 
Father, I'm not sure I'm feeling up to going to church today. Father is with you. Father is witness. And he says pure religion is to live out a life that reaches people who are far from God or who have severe needs. These are people like orphans and widows, single moms, foster children, kids who are born, their, their parents are addicted to crack. Who's going to help in that situation? Of the government. Why would we pay taxes? The government will take care of that. Are you kidding me? We have an opportunity to do good. We have a loving Father that's resourced us to the max. And that is why we can and we will go to those in need and serve them. We're told in Psalm 68, 5, God is a father of the fatherless. And he's also a judge for the widows. So those who take advantage of the widows, those who take advantage of needy children or the homeless, God will judge for them one day. But rather than God judging me for inaction, I would love the Father to bless me through action. Wouldn't you? Let's be doers. Let's go. In the New Testament, we have a Father. God has revealed himself as a Father that will meet our every need. We always have an occasion to be generous. I know, budget's tight. Don't have a lot of income. Inflation's going up. But because of our Heavenly Father, we always have an opportunity to be generous with our time, with our prayer, with our care, with our money, with our service. And as I was working on this message earlier this week, I got a text from a friend up in St. Petersburg. And my wife and I are, are, are friends with this couple, and she works with a foster care ministry called Door of Hope. They have come and they've shared about their ministry with us. We pray for them. We want to encourage you all to pray for this foster care ministry. And this single mom is moving to Bradenton and doesn't know a soul. It's a real sudden thing. It has to move today, this afternoon at 5.15. And the text was, hey, can, can your people help? My first thought is, well, Sundays are a busy day. <laughs> I mean, have you seen what it takes to set up a church and worship and preach and tear down a church? And, and we got to get the kids their nap and... All of those reasons flow through my mind. I don't, I don't know. We might be too busy. We might be too tired. But I'm literally working on this verse. It says, this is pure religion. To help those in need. <laughs> Lord, I see what you're doing. You're testing me if I'm living out what I preach. Okay. So we give our yes to Jesus. We're going to help this, this, this couple out. Turns out they actually got a moving company. They've got help. So I was, I was going to ask for people to help this morning, but we've been told the moving care has been handled. But would you pray for our family as we go take a meal to this mom, her five-year-old girl, meet them, love them, help them find a church, find out where they're at spiritually. But if we're not willing to actually meet those needs, God's going to give it to someone else. And you miss out on the blessing helping someone in need. We don't want that to be us. We want that pure and clean religion. We want the Father's pleasure on every part of our lives. So in closing, what are some ways that we can live out this pure faith? A sincere faith. I already said it before, generosity. Put your time, put your resources, put your money where your mouth is. This is one important reason to give financially to the church. Because when needs pop up in the membership, we can actually help. But when we find someone in the community that 
is broke. They don't have anything. What would it cost to get them some groceries and, and stock their fridge or, or, or cook them a meal? We'd love to do that. But that means we've got to step out by faith. We've got to give. We've got to give. Give the door of hope. Give to one more child. It's not just a give to Living Hope Church, but church, we've got to be giving somewhere. We've got to be generous because God has been generous to us. Christmas is coming up. Right? It's, it's fall, which means Christmas is right around the corner. So while you're planning to get gifts for your home, for your family, think about what can I give to those in need? Maybe God will lead our church to do Operation Christmas Child. And we pack boxes with things that kids need that get sent around the world. When kids get to hear about Jesus, they get to open up a gift. Maybe we do something for the kids at the Dream Center in Bradenton. Let's be thinking generously. Let's be thinking about our children. As our children's ministry grows and as we have more families come in, we serve them and bless them in Jesus' name. We don't tell parents who come in here, you got to fend for yourself. Your kids are your problem. We want the whole family. We want to minister to the whole family. Which means, are we ready to minister now? Awkward moment. You know, pastor's kids are here. This isn't just about pastor. It's for my kids. Would you love them? Would you serve them? Would you live an authentic Christian life before them so they can see Jesus in you? Children's ministry starts right here, right now. And I already know the objection. Josh, people are just going to take advantage of you if you're generous. People will just take advantage of you. So why do it? Because I don't do it for people. I do it because my Father is witness. And I want to live a pure faith before Him. And I trust that He is good for it. I literally cannot lose in this situation. I might be out a couple bucks and they might waste it, but I'm going to be blessed by the Father. I'm being obedient to the call. I'm being a witness to others. I'm shining a light for Jesus. I will be rewarded far more than those couple bucks in the last day. So what do I care if they waste it? That's between them and God. I am called to keep myself unstained from the world. I am to reject the world's way of thinking and to pursue Christ. That's between me and God. That's between you and the Lord. Are you living a life of faith today? Do you hear the word? And don't just say good sermon. The sermon is just beginning. The application is what God does in your life all week long. Church, let's live this faith humbly, actually, and accurate.